Oh, hello, and welcome to the Community Experience Podcast. We are so glad you're here. If you're one of our regulars, you're probably wondering why we haven't published in a while. We actually chose to sunset the show in early 2023, but the feed will stay active because so many of the episodes are timeless. If you want to learn more and search our back catalog, you can visit smartpassiveincome.com slash cxpodcast, all one word. Hey everyone, Jillian here. Just a heads up, this episode contains some explicit language and may not be appropriate for younger audiences. But going back to what you're saying in regards to not being the star of the conversation, I was tempted to do that. Someone would ask a question, sometimes what someone else would answer, I'm like, oh, you're stealing my show. But then I realized, no, dude, like that's what they're here for. It's not just Terry. Like they know your perspective. They want to hear someone else. You have to check your ego. When have you ever been in in an opportunity where you're like, you know what make this better? Ego. It never happens, right? So it can only make things worse. And I realized I had to just stay on mute sometimes and let the community support each other. And I was just a curator, not necessarily the expert they needed at that time. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Community Experience Podcast. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Jillian Benbow. And today, SBI CEO, Matthew Gartland is joining as my co-host, and we're talking to Terry Rice, who is a all-around badass, frankly. Terry is the host of the podcast Launch Your Business. He's also the founder of Terry Rice Consulting, where he helps entrepreneurs make more money, save time, and avoid burnout. Oh, and he's also the business development expert in resident at Entrepreneur Magazine, like hello, Yeah. So Terry knows what he's doing. We get into kind of how he got into where he is. And we just talk a lot about, you know, community and how it weaves into the entrepreneurial industry in general and where we think it's going and lots of great stuff. So enough for me. Let's get into the episode. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to this episode of the Community Experience Podcast, and I have my faithful semi-co-host back with me, Matthew Gartland, CEO of SPI Media. Hello, Matt. Hello. Glad to be back. Yeah. And we have an amazing guest today, Mr. Terry Rice. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. So... Let's just jump right in. This whole episode came about Matt and Terry, I think are pals. They've been talking. Terry, you are doing stuff at Entrepreneur Magazine. You have your own consulting business. You're just kicking butt and taking names. So let our audience know if they don't already know a little bit about you. Yeah. Well, first of all, I have four kids. So everything else I do is on the side pretty much. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> but I'm um, a business development consultant and that normally involves helping other entrepreneurs grow their brand and revenue. Also a staff writer, Entrepreneur Magazine, where I primarily focus on creating content that would have helped me seven years ago when I started my business, do speaking engagements, course creator, and then, like I said, a lot of uh, babysitting outside of that. Hey, when it's your kids, it's not babysitting. It's parenting. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> your, your partner's going to come after you. They listen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll cut it out. Don't worry. That's fascinating. How did you get into business consulting? You mentioned it's the things that you wish you would have known when you started. What What had you started long ago? What was your business? And talk us through kind of like your experience with 
running a business. Yeah, well, it started when I left my my corporate job. And just for background, I used to work at uh, Facebook as well as Adobe in a digital marketing function. So helping companies like Best Buy, Amazon, Delta, like you name it, grow through paid ads. And in 2015, I decided to start my own business. And here's the issue, right? It's possibly very good at your job, but not good at running a business. And I wish someone had told me that <laughs> when I first started mine, because I was great at marketing, but not good at marketing myself, not having good processes in place, all that stuff. So I really struggled for the first 18 months. But at the same time, that's when my daughter was first born, too. And it was it was unfortunate because I was always worried every day because I felt like her future was tied to the success of my business. And I had no clue what I was doing. So there were times from her, her early childhood that I don't really remember as much because I was just distracted by this worry and uncertainty. So that's a lot of what I focus on is helping people avoid those, those frustrations, those challenges, again, the uncertainty. So I can just focus on helping people, but out of the expense of their personal life. I think that resonated a lot. I can, I can kind of, I feel like Matt, you have a similar kind of story and, you know, little kids at home too. So I'd love to shoot it over to you to get your yeah. response. Privately, Karen, Tara and I have connected a, a bunch already. Just on, yeah. Uh, fatherhood and parenting, you know, amidst this crazy world of entrepreneurship. So yeah, it, it tracks and I think is consistent with a lot of it. It's definitely for me now with like two little ones at home, Tara's kids, uh, I think are older, but yeah, like there's, there's a real, uh, I think like you could call it a mindset, but you could also call it like the some level strategy, which is what, what are you trying to do uh, if you are like Terry, even like me, to, you know, even past story to some degree, which is replacing a traditional job and source of income with something of your own. Are you just trying to build a job or are you trying to build a business? And these are two very different things. Even in Jill, our SPI uh, MBA community group, you know, sort of the, the upper end, you know, this is something that we're talking about actually pretty squarely, which is. You know, it, it's a great objective to accomplish if you can replace, you know, potentially a six-figure income from a, a really great company, and you're now doing that on your own. So, like, you've built a really great job. Congratulations, truly. But then, increasingly, you know, some entrepreneurs don't just want to stop there, right? Like, they want to be able to delegate more. They want to be able to grow income. They want to be able to do different things beyond just themselves. And this notion of having a replacement job, right? And that is then like this this notable shift in thinking and strategies in systems and, and all these other things that even Terry was starting to mention in our process, right? Uh, into how do you structure and build a and grow a business, right? You know, it's it's funny you mentioned that, you know, you, you somewhat gave yourself a new job, right? And my my goal when I first went independent was to make as much money as I was at Facebook, which was not a bad salary, right? So I did that by year three, I wanna say. But I did not have processes in place. I didn't even realize how much money I was making because I wasn't tracking it properly. At the end of the year, I was like, well, I did it, right? But I was working around the clock. It was just more time for money. Like I didn't have a good system in place. And if we're thinking of a business as something we can scale and maybe sell, there's no way that was going to happen with what I had going on. So that's why I had to like pause and just re-educate myself on what it was like because it, man, I would say I, I wasn't even a, an entrepreneur. I was more of a freelancer, a very successful freelancer. You know, I was doing well. But I think when you're an entrepreneur, that's when you have those apps, tools, routines in place that can scale, that can save you time. Therefore, you're not you know, wasting your time, energy, and talent on things that maybe you shouldn't be involved with. I mean, it's scary. I've a long time ago dabbled and then quickly went and got another job. And that's what I do. I'm very comfortable working for other people's like thing. And I know you help people to really lean into that and make that a business. And I know even actually when I joined SPI, I was still doing some consulting myself. And <laughs> I mean, I've never felt more like a fraud just because 
like I know what I'm doing in community and whatnot, right? Like that's my jam. But then you're negotiating money and, and time and scope and all this. And it's, I felt like I was just plain pretend business, frankly. So I'm like, yeah, this is my rate. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's what it is. Don't ask for receipts because, I, you know, it's just a calculated guess based on, you know, I, I'm curious your thoughts on people in in that role, like that are dabbling in consulting, like what advice you have, obviously take your course, and we'll get into that. But what advice do you have as far as feeling confident and knowing how to do that? Well, I'll say this, when I first started my business, I wasn't doing consulting, I was doing digital marketing account management. So I was actually doing running ads, mostly Facebook and, and Google. And at one point, I realized, first of all, I don't like doing this. And if I had a nine to five, I would be directing a team of people that do this. I would not be the person pushing buttons. So what I did is I stopped doing account management and started training people on how to do digital marketing. So I went from an account manager to a trainer and then eventually a consultant saying, here's, I'll consult you on how to do it. But there was this one woman who was, uh, she had a digital marketing agency and she wanted me to consult her on how to do digital marketing. But after a while, she started asking me biz dev questions like, hey, how do I get leads? How do I maintain them? How do I scale X, Y, Z? And I helped her out with that. And then she said, hey, can you help my husband too? He could really use your services. You know, he's a graphic designer. And I was like, I don't know anything about graphic design. I mean, you see my website. Like, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> you know, these, these fancy things. And she's like, no, but you're really good at biz dev. You know, the way you help me, you can help him too. So my confidence came from feedback from people. And this is not the route everyone can take, but there was something within me that she saw that could be applied to other individuals. And that's when I stopped doing digital marketing and just switched to, to consulting. But I think the best way to find success is to be radically honest about who you are and what you can do. And maybe you're not like, you know, on a scale of one to 10, maybe you're a three. Great. Be the best three out there and be honest about the fact you're a three and then keep on ascending. So you can remove imposter syndrome by not being an imposter. <laughs> that's, that's the easiest way to do it. And again, that radical honesty, that, that growth mindset, people see it, they recognize it. And I think some people will realize, wow, I'm getting this person at a deal because, you know, a year from now, their rates are going to triple and I want to align with them now. Yeah, if I can throw in, like I actually believe freelancing or just services, maybe a bit more broadly, is a fantastic way to like transition from day job or some traditional career type into you know the broader waters of entrepreneurship because you are then forced to learn and adapt and modify and you know uh, that sentiment from Terry, you know, just be radically honest with yourself whether you're saying it out loud or not, like you're saying it, you know internally, and you're starting to figure out like wh where do I want to potentially specialize and. and you know, serve people and deliver value and then like get those feedback loops on, you know, what we would say even in almost a very economic terms is, you know, the supply and demand loop, right? Which is like, okay, like I'm, I'm delivering a service that positive reinforcement, yes, is helping confidence, but it's also like telling me that like there's a market for this, right? And that like I'm finding a certain calibration with the rates I'm charging or I'm getting no pushback at all to my rates. Maybe I'm not charging enough, right? And if you lean into it, I think with that level of like, I dare say like intellectual curiosity, like you can really be motivated to like develop the skill of, you know, the entrepreneurial skills and not just like, I don't know, be chasing money, but like do it as like a real skill development sort of pursuit. Like you can iterate and quickly start to find these patterns that lead to different levels of success. Uh, the big thing that I would say, certainly born from my own experience is it's not going to be a straight line. Like you're going to twist and turn and sometimes double back on yourself, you know, even a few times as you really start to kind of figure out, okay, what is the thing that I want to do? That's not going to be static. It will change. It will grow. And maybe yeah, you get to a point where, you know, you've built a really great job for yourself. And then again, maybe you want 
something more than that. Maybe your priorities and aspirations change and you want to grow into more of a, a business. Yeah. One thing you said that really stood out to me is just feeling like you have a, a good business model, that there's a, there's a product market fit. And that's the benefit of when I, when I help people who are leaving corporate. I think that I say to them like, hey, is there something about your job that you did like or any job you've ever had you know, in your career that you actually did like? Oh, email marketing. Great. Let's make that your your service, right? Because that way you know you're good at it. So you remove that imposter syndrome. And you know there's a market for it because someone paid you at one point in time <laughs> for it as well. So you remove all those issues. And and that's what I did initially. And one thing that I was really I really benefited from is I was an, a consultant at Adobe. And I knew when companies hired Adobe to work with them how much they were paying for my time. It was three hundred dollars an hour. And this is back in two thousand and nine. And that always stuck with me. I was like, okay, well, you know, Delta is paying $300 an hour to talk to me. That's how much I'm worth. I'm not getting that from Adobe. And I'm not dissing Adobe because there's overhead or whatever. But I knew there must be some other people out there who would pay me $300 an hour as well. So when I went independent, I had that number in my head already. I knew years ago I was worth 300 bucks an hour. It's probably more now. So not everyone has that luxury. And that's why I'm glad we're talking about it because the more you can learn from other people who have already successfully done what you're doing, the more time you can save and the more confusion you can avoid. Oh, yeah. And I know when I was doing it, when I was, you know, getting into consulting, being like, eh? you know, like <laughs> surprise Pikachu face. I don't know. I talked to people in the industry, you know, that were at a similar level as me that I knew had done consulting. And I'm like, can we have a, a money conversation, you know, and that's it helped me kind of gauge what was appropriate for you know, because you don't want to just be like, it's a $1,000 an hour. And you know, that, like, that's just not cool. And learning more too about just well, how have you structured contracts and, and certain companies, as you know, will have the way they do it. And so you're going to do it their way, if you want to work with them. And it definitely helped. It definitely helped. But yeah, I think paying attention, and being willing to ask people to coffee to be like, hey, can I ask you money questions and put that out there, right? in the invite, because not everyone wants to talk about that kind of stuff. But I'm very fortunate that I have, you know, and community, we're just sharers, like that's what we do. So talking with other people in the community space, like we can't wait to talk about it. So I was fortunate to have a lot of really honest, frank conversations. So I could kind of gauge what I'm worth. And but also like, what's a fair for both rate, if you will. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Because my issue was I didn't have a good network. My network was other corporate people, right? Because when I worked at Facebook or Adobe, I was like, I don't need anybody. You know, here's my logo that validates who I am. <laughs> so I didn't have anyone in the entrepreneurial community or even other like industries to reach out to. So there's this almost like an identity crisis. I think people can go through when they leave their corporate job. And I think it's, it, we should bring that up because it's, it's natural, right? It's, it's part of the whole process. But if you feel like you're the only one feeling this way, then it's like you think there's something wrong with you. But no, it's just a step on the on the road. And to your point, yeah, start joining communities, networks. And, and I always say give before you take if you can, even if it's just advice on stuff like, hey, Matt, I went to your website. Gosh, it's great, but you spelled Matt wrong. By the way, would love to talk to you, uh, you know, about how you came with your pricing. So, I mean, you get the point, right? When you Because when you are the gift, you receive the gift. So I always encourage people to, to give first when they're, when they're networking if possible. And it's a great way to start, in fact, building a certain type of community, which as a, an eventual maybe segue, it's like, like actually community as products, right? That, you know, uh, Terry, you're building towards uh, that we've been talking about privately. Obviously, we're doing a ton of here at SPI, like starting there with just, you know, a networking, I would say, orientation and inclination and giving value and adding value, starting to monetize that through services can then be sort of step one to eventually step two and step three. 
where like, yeah, if you want products, and, and I think that's the shiny object that a lot of you know, early stage entrepreneurs, uh, I, I guess we all want. But, but as far as the early stage, you're like, cool, like I want an online course as my product because this is something that conceivably has infinite scale. Or these days, I want community because that's sexy and that looks really exciting. And maybe there's scale there as well. And oh, MRR, that's super cool. Right. Like the, the thing about products, but it's really hard to build a product, to launch and sell a product and have to be sustainable if you don't have, at least in my, you know, I guess, spicy opinion, other things that have pre existed. You have market fit, maybe that you found through services. You've started to expand your network. You have started to build audience by way of free value or very like bar- low barrier to entry sort of product. And you're able to do that because you have a service business that's supporting you under the hood. Right. It's almost like step one, do services, replace your income. Step two, build an audience for, you know, for free, do the free stuff. Step three, build a product, right? Um, and, and then profit. Sorry, there's a, as a South Park reference. Phase three is profit. <laughs> yeah, there's, and, and you're absolutely right. There's one thing that I would have done differently as well in regards to like these, these different services. Affiliates, affiliate sales, because... When I first started, I was still talking about digital marketing a lot. I was teaching courses at General Assembly and NYU. So I'm in front of like 100 people a week who are asking me advice about marketing. I should have said, oh, by the way, here's four tools I use and had an affiliate link in there because some of them have a recurring revenue. I would still be getting paid to this day. And even recently, I put up a post on LinkedIn talking about this online course I took, which was amazing. And I included an affiliate link. And within a day, I sold 24 courses as an affiliate for this person, right? So if you're just starting out and you maybe, Matt, to your point, maybe you don't really know what you should be building yet. If you focus on building an audience, delivering value, nurturing them, you can also slip in a few affiliate references (laughs) and generate revenue from something someone else has already built and almost capitalize off their, their reputation for success as you're building yours as well. Yeah, absolutely. Just to kind of like, stitch that back into the SPI timeline, like that was ostensibly the very first business model, you know, of SPI, even before I was formally involved, like when, when Pat built this thing, you know, it wasn't his primary source of income. He had his other niche sites, you know, most folks listening probably are familiar with Pat's story, right? So he was building SPI as his give back vehicle to share what he had learned and, and teach that. And then along the way, after the audience started to bloom, it's like, yeah, insert affiliate links for our, all the tools that I'm using and talking about with some regularity. You know, I, I, I don't think I'd ever thought about it in that way. That's not a criticism, but it's just like that was ostensibly his first business model. Well, yeah. And what I was going to say is it's a great way to have content because you can talk about, I, here. hey, here's how I use ConvertKit to create a segment. And if you want to do it, now that I've shown you how to do it, so easy. Here's my link, right? And so now you have content that's like SEO and like that whole side. And we know this, right? Because we have communities of people trying to do these things. People get overwhelmed and it, because it is, it's overwhelming. Like you talk about, okay, I'm going to go out on my own and do it my way. And then it's like, holy shit, there's a lot to do. <laughs> like, you know, you can you can work smartly, but once you start, okay, I'm going to add an email list. I mean, I need a, a Twitter account. I need a product or a service to sell. All of that, it can it can get overwhelming. So I like how you have you very you very much have a. It's not the same, but it is like your your starting point is different. But you and Pat and I would say even Matt have a similar journey of how you put the building blocks together to create what you have now. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong. So you went from like the one-on-one consulting and then you launched your course. So you could kind of serve more people in addition to your higher paying 
one-on-one clients. And now you're at the point where you have courses, you have, you know, the big clients, and now you're bringing community into the mix. Is that accurate? It is. And, and I'll, I'll tell a, a longer story. Hopefully I don't ramble on. But my first online course ever was based on Facebook marketing. How to do Facebook ads from this former Facebook employee. It's going to be amazing. So I built the course out. And then I realized a week later, I'm like, oh, this button in the interface changed. Oh, Facebook had another update. Oh, this changed now too. I'm like, this thing is outdated, right? It had been like three weeks. <laughs> yes. And that's when I learned if you do want to build a course, either make it evergreen or commit to updating it. Otherwise, it'll quickly be outdated and you're selling an inferior product. So for my my next course, it actually came out of necessity and I'll, and I'll break this down. This is back in 2020, which is a big, busy year for a lot of us <laughs> for various reasons. But back then I was doing primarily one-on-one consulting. But when COVID hit, all my kids at this time, I only have three kids. I'm saying only, um, only have three kids and they're all home every day for 18 months straight. Right. So this day in, day out, I could not serve one on one clients and serve snacks to my kids at the same time. So what I did is, even though, you know, the economy's you know, going crazy, I took two months off from work and built an online course that was the foundation for how I help people grow their business. Took those two months off, self-recorded. And then when I came back, I did group coaching. I did group coaching. So I said, you know, we're going to meet every Tuesday and Thursday from three to four. We can ask me any questions you want. And here's this online course that has the core information you need to run your business. Therefore, when I'm, you know, Tuesday and Thursday, I'm not teaching you. I'm answering questions. We're having deeper conversations. So as a result of doing that, my revenue actually doubled in 2020, even though I worked about 20 hours a week while caring for three children. So that's the power of just being very clear on your message. And I think one benefit I had is the content in my course, I delivered it live so many times to individuals, to organizations, at schools, so on and so forth, that I felt confident making the course. But I think sometimes people don't do that and it's assumed they should put information in the course and it's not as helpful as it could be. So that, that was my experience. And what I realized, and I think what we're getting to is after this accelerator, more or less, that I had, some people just said, look, I, you know, I, I miss the community we had. Like, you know, what's going on? I'm used to every Thursday showing up here and having someone to talk to. And that's when the idea for a community came about, which I am building out as we speak. That's so exciting. So I just can't help myself as a community builder. Do you have a plan? Like, do you have a uh, how you're going to announce it and get people to join? Is it paid? Is it part of the course? Thoughts? My plan is to learn from other people first. I don't I can't even tell you how I'm going to launch it because I don't even know what's going to look like yet exactly. So I'm going to practice strategic patience and realize that success leaves clues. So we'll see. I mean, I can I can assume like there's going to be a free tier or there'll be a paid tier. But what I want to do is make sure that no one ever regrets signing up by just over delivering value. Same thing with my online course. Like I, I look at it. It's a masterpiece. I teach you how to start your own solopreneur business. But that's one thing that really stuck with me throughout my career is I want to be able to post on social media saying one thing or another and never have to worry about someone commenting, yeah, but you messed this up or yeah, but you didn't help me or yeah, but whatever. So that's my goal is just to deliver excellence. And and if I can't, then, you know, I'll I'll do my best to make up for it. But I'm not sure where it's going yet because I want to be audience driven, right? I talked to Pat during one of my podcast episodes about being audience driven. So I'm not going to be Terry driven. I'm going to be audience driven and I'll I'll let you know where it goes. That's always so exciting. But uh, I think we share maybe a common view or mostly that, you know, the puck is going in this direction where 
know, post-education experiences are more important than ever. That, that you know, from a demand standpoint, you know, people are asking. It sounds like they're asking you, like, "Hey, I, I missed this thing. Can you bring it back? And maybe in a different way." We were just talking with our MBA again members earlier this week, Jill and me, just around how, at least in again our maybe spicy opinion over here, like the demand for community feels like it's now outpacing the demand even for content. You know, the, the demand for education. Now, now the the hybridization, you, you know, the the assimilation of both, I think is like the magic sweet spot. You know, if creators and entrepreneurs can can build into that and, and have those you know, components of their business, but you know, in terms of like what we're hearing and seeing, especially with you know, here we are on the cusp of you know twenty twenty three, you know, with so much information free and increasingly cheap, you know, even by way of online courses, it's like okay, I, I can get the education piece now in a lot of different ways from you or from someone else. There is there's less gatekeepers than ever say around like how how to do online business well or how to learn how to do Facebook marketing or um, how to do podcasting like there's there's so many more people now that have that that expertise that that's not really the competitive advantage anymore you know so the competitive advantage seems to be like the the network the private networks the community aspects that people want to connect not just with Terry and being Terry driven or Matt or Pat or SPI driven but connect with each other right in our ability to incubate actual private community and network seems to be where there's demand and also then like our competitive advantage as a business. So I don't know, that was me going kind of, I don't know, spicy crazy there, but like, does that seem to track with your, I guess, point of view and awareness and, and what you're trying to build, Terry? It's something I noticed even with my accelerator, because I would get everyone together and one person would ask a question and before I could even chime in, someone else would re- reply that then they're all talking. I'm like, Pretty much after a while, all I did was like hit record, <laughs> start the Zoom and hit record and like just let everybody go. And and that became a selling point is I, I, I found your peers. That's what I would say. I found your peers. It's not just me. You have me in the course. Go watch the course. Right. But I found your peers. And if you want someone to connect with, not just learn from, but sometimes validate how you're feeling. Right. Like, oh, I feel like I'm burning out or, you know, this, no one understands me or this is confusing this is so on and so forth. Like it's not the information it's the customization, it's the application, but it's also the community of people who are supporting you. And there were at times when it got deep on a very personal level, it had nothing to do with business, you know, people talking about, you know, their personal relationships and all this stuff. So people are seeking community now more than ever, especially if you're a solopreneur who doesn't have a team, right? So you're just trying to find someone else you can talk to besides your, your friends and your family who might be kind of sick of hearing you talk about stuff after a while, or, or just can't, you know, connect with you. So yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and it's, it's good to see because, that's where the burnout comes from. That's where the frustration comes from is when you don't have someone else to say, hey, look, this is normal. Here's what's worked for me or I'm just here to listen. So I think you're absolutely right there. That's such a good sign. Yeah, if I can throw yet, I don't know, a little uh, spicy pepper, an additional spicy pepper into the mix here is... So spicy. To zoom out for a second, like there's these larger than life notions sometimes of like being an entrepreneur, being a creator, and then like being an influencer. And sometimes these terms get used interchangeably or, or in a very similar context. And I think that's actually wrong. We're kind of like doing a disservice as we're talking about community building and really trying to galvanize, you know, a creation and environment and ecosystem where people want to connect with each other, right? Because then that's not about Terry being famous or being, you know, some larger than life, like entertainment figure who is an influencer and like, hey, look at me, I'm rich, I'm famous, like follow my shit, it's awesome, right? No offense, if, if that's your direction. It's a, it's a very different direction, I guess, is my, is my point, right? So if for those of us that I think really believe in the spirit of community and want to create a safe space where people can connect authentically, can share deep stuff, Terry, like you were mentioning for you, and be willing to 
open you know the box and share the good and the bad and trade those stories and, and have that be really the value exchange, not just from like us to them, but like within this network effect, right? Then like you need to get off your, your hubris train and be really oriented around like them. They're the center. Like it doesn't matter how famous I am or how many Twitter followers I have, right? Or me as some some influencer, like that's that's not it. Like if you want the influencer, like celebrity, you know, like endorsement deals and all that sort of stuff, like that's a credible model, which is a very different model. Right. So go to YouTube and go on Instagram and be internet famous, do that. You know, it's just a very different thing. Yeah. And the, I mean, talking about the whole influencer thing in general, like the more of a following I get, which is not huge, it's, it's enough. Like the more I realize that's not really who I want to be. And, and the other day I was leaving Madison Square Garden. So MSG here in New York City. And as I'm walking out, this woman's like, are you Terry? And I'm like, yeah, she's like, I thought so. And then she just walked away. And I'm like, well, what? Like, what's like, what's this about? I was like dumbfounded. I'm like, like, why? Do, why is this even happening? And then she like messaged me on LinkedIn the next day, saying, "Hey, you know, I heard you talk somewhere. Sorry, I was being awkward. I had to hop in an Uber real quick." And I was like, "Thank you," because now I don't, I don't know, am I in danger or something? Like, I don't know what's going on. But going back to what you're saying in regards to not being the star of the conversation, I was tempted to do that within my accelerator program at first. Someone would ask a question, I felt like I had to be the one who came off mute and answered it. And to be honest, sometimes when someone else would answer, I'm like, oh, you're stealing my show. But then I realized, no, dude, like that's what they're here for. It's not just Terry. Like they know your perspective. They want to hear someone else. So to your point, you have to check your ego. One of my favorite books by uh, Ryan Holiday is called Ego is the Enemy. And he said, you know, if you think about it, ego has never improved any situation ever. When have you ever been in, in an opportunity where you're like, you know what, make this better? ego. It never happens, right? So it can only make things worse. And I realized I had to just stay on mute sometimes and let the community support each other. And I was just a curator, not necessarily the expert they needed at that time. Yeah, agreed. It's a hard balance. Yeah. And Jill, I was going to throw it to you, if I can ask you a question, which is like, as a community builder and, and the resident community expert here for us, you know, it's, I, I see it as a very different muscle, right? Like, it's a weaker muscle compared to other muscles, at least for those of us that have been online for a longer time when the technology was different, the incentive were different, you know, t the way that Twitter worked was different, the way that Facebook worked was different in 2010 and 2012. And now here we are, the precipice of 2023, right? So like, we developed different muscles only be like because we had to, right? Because the technology constraints were different, the incentive patterns were different. Now, in terms of market forces and other things, that at least I think are true, and, and I care about like, oh, cool, like, we have to develop new muscles and we can't just take the old ones and apply them in a new context. And you've been in these waters for a while. Like, do you see it similarly or like, how do we do that sort of a shift in terms of like skill development? Yeah. I mean, I think technology has evolved in a way when I think about the early 2010s, when I was just getting in, you know, to like community management as a paid thing and like, you worked for, you know, like Facebook, or you worked for companies that had a large engineering and dev team that custom built a place. And so just by the nature of that, there wasn't this like one-to-many audience structure. It was like a company, it was a brand. And then as time has gone on, and so it evolved to your point of like, oh, I have a huge Twitter following. That's my community, which of course I'm doing air quotes. I'm sure everyone can hear it listening because they know how I feel about using the word community when it's audience. And so, yeah, so fast forward, now we have all these platforms where we can do it all and like platforms that have the LMS and the community. It's amazing. It's really exciting. And I think community building, like the big secret is it's not that hard. I mean, it is, but it's not, you know, like a lot of it is relationship building. 
it all boils down to human connection. And something one of you said earlier about, you know, there's, I think it was you, Matt, that being an expert anymore is not the competitive advantage. And unfortunately, (laughs) I had a snarky comment that I held back, but I'll say it now because I've got the mic. There's a lot of bullshitters out there too. Like there's a lot of terrible, like people that have no business that just like took a course and then turn around and like, now I'm going to make a course about this thing I barely know about. But I think it's becoming abundantly clear who is doing it for the right reasons. Just like when you get roped into this, you know, this course that tells you you're going to be a millionaire overnight by this secret. And the secret is just getting a lot of people to buy that person's course so they can be a millionaire. You know, like once you realize like, oh, this is all stupid, like this isn't real. It's the same with community. And so Terry, what you were talking about, like actually caring and saying this isn't about, this isn't the Terry show. This is like, you know, the people in the accelerator show and being able to take that ego and and sit down when you need to. And really just spending time talking to people in your course, in your community, that's the biggest, that's the big secret. Like that's, that's the sauce. So anybody I think can do that. So 2020 was such a huge boom for community. And my big prediction was when the world opens up again, you know, however you consider that communities are really going to struggle. We'll have a shakedown and the ones that are good, the ones that matter will survive and the other ones are going to fall away. And it's happening. The people who care and actually give a hoot about their community and the people in the community and are spending time investing in that, which again, it doesn't like Terry, to your point with your creating a course, like you can make more money working less if you do it well, if you're, if you're strategic about it. I think that is that is what's important. One thing that stands out, though, about imposters, right, because it happens to me all the time, like I'm on LinkedIn and someone's like, hey, Terry, let me help you monetize your LinkedIn following. And you'll look at the person, they have like 14 followers and no likes on their last 20 posts. And I'm like, it seems like you maybe I should be helping you. But with a, with a community, to your point, you can't fool hundreds of people into joining and staying in a community unless you're delivering value. So I think it's a really good way to vet people who are really actually helping people as opposed to someone who just had this idea to, you know, because they read a book about it or whatever. So that was a really good point. And, and I think it also matters why you started the community. If you started it just to make money, it's going to seem like a chore. <laughs> good luck. But if you're going <laughs> to actually help people, you won't mind answering questions and curating conversations and doing, you know, all these live talks because it's fun. But if you're like, oh, man, it's three o'clock again. Damn, I got to do stupid thing. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> that's that's not going to be <laughs> enjoyable. Right. And you're going to burn out. Right. So I think, you know, you really have to be clear on your purpose before you even think about what the structure of the community is. Are you going to enjoy talking about this stuff all the time or are you doing it because someone said it's an easy way to make money? Because it's not if it's taxing on you. It is not an easy way to make money. Yeah. Like you can make money for sure. But anybody selling something, saying like get rich, creating a community is in the snake oil section. Like, no, 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 no. Even though you can, like I said, like you can be very strategic about your time in spent in the community and what you're doing. So you're not 40 hours a week or even more. You're still going to be working hard, right? Hopefully it's fun to your point. Like I naturally love community building, so I enjoy it, right? That's, I would say if you don't, and, and Terry, you said this, but I'll reiterate it. If you don't enjoy that, don't start a community because that's what it is. And your members will see it. Like you're not that slick. They'll see it. Terry, you have an amazing just personal track record, boots on the ground building, you know, your business. You also have this really fantastic vantage point, potentially like higher altitude or wider, just being a part of the entrepreneur kind of community staff writer. I, I'm curious what you yeah, are no, seeing from no big deal, that. By the way. <laughs> no big deal. 
I, I'm curious, like what you're seeing from that vantage point around some of these themes, right? You know, because it, it, it's talking still about how, how do folks build and grow, you know, their own thing across that landscape, the entrepreneur landscape, you know, what, what are you seeing there in terms of these patterns, if at all, if there are patterns around like, you know, where is value going? How are we codifying that value into different creations, different product types? Uh, and is there a continuity there of thought around more community-based elements? One thing I'm seeing is in a large influx of individuals who maybe don't have a community trying to get coverage. And what that tells me is they're, they're in trouble. Right. Because otherwise, like there wouldn't be this uptick. There's always a demand for publicity. But when I see so many people saying, can you please put me in this magazine? That tells me that you're there's an issue. Right. But uh, at the same time, there's more of a demand for not just learning about communities, but the tools that will help someone build a community, the benefit of joining community how to even interact successfully within a community because you can be in some kind of you know online uh, group, but if you don't know how to interact, you're not gonna get the benefits, right? So maybe you're an introvert. So there's literally people saying, how can an introvert network online? There's a lot more demand for that. And it's- So I can help with this, but go ahead. <laughs> Like, I'm an introvert, believe it or not. I mean, so I think you should, because for me, I'm like, this is the best way to do it. You're just typing in front of a computer. No one can even see right. you. It's not like you're yeah. like when I was younger, you had to actually go places and talk to people. And if you didn't like them, you had to find an excuse to to not to go to the bathroom again. Right. You know, So. Right. So. But that's what we're seeing, though, is it's a lot of people saying, how can I you know, build this community, this connection? Because that's one thing that was missing in 2020 was connection. And, and we, you know, we created it. So more or less but it was kind of thrown together in a non-thoughtful way. But I think the the overall thought is, I want this, but just not in a way that was thrown together during a, a pandemic. <laughs> I want it to be more, you know, more stable, more beneficial. And as we see more and people leave the workforce, especially for one reason or another, by their own choice or because of layoffs, think about it. You know, if you worked at Twitter, you were used to having all these really smart people around you to help you with X, Y, Z. Now they're gone. Right. So I think the people that are new to entrepreneurship, whether it's their decision or not, they're craving it. And I think to your point, Jillian, that's where we're going to see a huge influx in 2023 as a result of this this change in the in the, the marketplace. I feel like we should make a community. <laughs> is, that, is, that your, is that your takeaway? <laughs> this is where my head always yeah. goes. I'm like, we need a network community for, you know, all the people that are kind of like thrown out with the wash right now. Yeah, it's, you know, going back to what I was talking about earlier, having a network of people in not even like necessarily in the same like business industry, but just in community has been my lifeline for the last decade plus. To your point, like with the, what happened at Twitter, I can imagine, especially how it happened. It actually reminds me, I, I've been in a similar experience and um, people, we actually like made a, a rogue Slack group and connected. It's also just a tip for anyone who works at a company, like make sure you got people's phone numbers, you know? Let me ask you a question. Do you see a value in creating in-person opportunities for your community. So let's say it's a major city like, you know, New York, Miami, so on and so forth. Are you seeing a demand for that as well? Because that could be a fun yes. people to meet in, in person. I'm seeing a demand for it. Like when I look at what other communities are doing, but also what members want. And it, it, and it depends wildly, right? But especially in the, the business side of like community, like entrepreneurial communities, whatnot, like a hell yes. And I think a lot of it is, you know, the pandemic took that away from us. And we appreciate it a little more. And now it is it is kind of nice to get together. And I would even say in new ways. So not even the like, let's all meet, like meetup style at a coffee shop and do a, a mastermind. It's not even that. It's let's go meet at a park and throw a Frisbee around. But as like 
and like make it more casual, like, like making things fun again. Right. But yeah, I'm absolutely seeing that. It's something we talk about for pro with a global community. It's tricky because when COVID's high one place, it's not in another. So just trying to figure out like, how would this work? Could we have, you know, members host events? Is it just for members or is it for members and potential members or just like friends, you know, friends to come in and do something? Is it a workshop? Is it social? Is it, you know, it gets overwhelming quick, but it all goes back to if your community's asking for it, like that's a big sign right there. Right. And, uh, but yes, all that to say, yes, I think we're in this hybrid new world where we know that like everything digital all the time is fatiguing in its own way. And so we kind of yearn for that getting back together in person, but we want to do it in different ways. Like we don't want to go back to the same, same. I think it was fast company, but I could be wrong, but there's an article about like, can we just stop with the cheap conference swag already? You get caught up in the moment. You're like, yes, I do need 10 squeezy balls that say, you know, whatever company. And I think that's a good example, like an adjacent example of like, we want to go back to conferences, but like, don't even make this stuff. Like, just stop. Like, let's shift how we're doing this. You know, what's funny. I used to do trade show marketing at a previous job. So I was that guy at all the conferences and the swag. Yeah, that was always a big thing. What should we get? And the smartest thing I ever came up with was a cell phone holder. It would hold your cell phone on your desk. So you can see it like when it goes off and it, that's something they would keep. But I always thought to myself, we're paying like $20,000 to be at this conference if you just gave me that money for my ad budget, I could do a lot more with it. And looking back now, based on this conversation, if we were smart, we would have built a community, right? As we're there, we're not just getting, you know, email addresses so we can do some kind of sales. We can say, hey, look, you're all in the same industry. We have this online community where you can do this every day without leaving, you know, Omaha or whatever. So it, it goes back to, you know, you saying like, why are we doing this the traditional way again when we know the benefit of just having an ongoing relationship with your community, not just show up to a conference once a year and giving everybody like these, these stress balls or whatever. <laughs> my kids do like those though. So, I know. so there's, there's Actually, some value. But <laughs> When my dad would go to conferences, it was always like, when I was a kid, it was like, you better bring me all those prizes, you know? And then it was my daughter and then he retired. But like when he was bringing them for my daughter, I was like, stop it. And he's like, but you always love these, this junk. And I'm like, well, that's different. <laughs> I don't want this in my house. Clearly, though, Jill has a lot to say about in-person stuff, and rightfully so. We are trying to figure that out. We, had, you know, on the SPI side. So, you know, hopefully next year we can at least test the waters a little bit. Like again, sort of entrepreneurial spirit. What's what's the first small widget, you know, idea of this thing, you know, that we can try to manifest and do it locally? You know, Jill's been a great advocate for just like local stuff. You know, like so I'm in Columbus, Ohio. We have actually a decent representation of like members in the greater you Ohio do. area. You have a pocket. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, cool. Like I should host something for our SPI members just locally here, either in Columbus and people can drive in from, you know, Cleveland or Cincinnati or something like that. Right. So yeah, we're trying to, trying to figure that out. I'd fly in from New York. That's not, <laughs> Would you? Sounds, you should. You should. Well, there you well, go. I'll, I'll be, well, I want to come. Uh, uh, <laughs> I got to get to New York again. We'll, we'll do something. Jill, it's your show, but we should give Terry the last word. Yeah. Point people in his direction. So what should, what should we do? Terry, let's, well, let's start with this. I want people to know about just your course and where they can find that info. Just a little bit about that. Cause I think our audience is very aligned with what you're doing. So whether people come and, and go all the way and do the accelerator, or they just want to come check you out, where should they learn more? And what can you tell us just kind of about the course you're doing. Yeah. Well, my website's terryrice.co, uh, not com. There's a photographer in Indiana who has the .com and is not giving it up. But um, but if you want some photos taken in Indiana, go to .com. If you want to learn more about me, go to .co. 
And my, my online course is called the Solopreneur Fast Track. And my goal is to help you make money within 30 days using the skills that you already have, right? So things that you learned at a previous job, because we then reduce that imposter syndrome and you're more confident going forward. And I just cut through all the fluff, all the noise, all the confusion that a lot of other courses might unfortunately have and teach you all the stuff that I wish I knew when I first started my business. And the most important part is how to attract inbound leads. That way you're just existing and people want to work with you as opposed to you doing outbound sales, which is when you have all these conversations about your rates and your availability and you know, all this and your, sorry, so your expertise. So that's what I, that's what I do. It's a really fun course. You can get through it in just two hours and start making money within 30 days. Oh my gosh. Sign me up. I'm all for this shift in course and like curriculum content where it's not the like you get 90 hours of content because no one wants actually wants that like two hours. I'm like, yes, I'm in. People don't refer or talk about courses they got a good deal on. They talk about courses they got results from. Right. So mine's all outcome focused and not to go too far into it. But at one point, I tell you the easiest way to get leads for your business, the easiest way to get leads. And then they say, "Okay, now stop taking the course and go do that. Don't just keep on watching videos, <laughs> take action. And then once you do that, you'll have leads coming in and I'll show you how to price your services later on. But like, don't just take the course and say, I did it. Like actually do something <laughs> that's going to generate revenue and change your future. I catch myself doing that to be fair. I'll like be in a course and be like, oh yeah. And now the work part, I'm just going to watch the next video. And then it's like, you know, deep down, you're like, you're, this is a disservice to yourself. All right. Well, yeah, go check out Terry's course and, and follow along. Where can people find you? Where do you participate? on the interwebs. LinkedIn, I know you can follow you on LinkedIn. Do you do any other socials? Yeah, LinkedIn's one of my biggest. And then also uh, Instagram at It's Terry Rice. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you, Terry. This has been fantastic. Yeah. Any final final words, Matt or Terry? Well, we're just going to get Terry back, you know, at some point. Uh, I'll, I'll drag him if I need to, but just really appreciate Terry, all, all that you're doing and, and you're starting to participate with us. There's some cool stuff I know that we can do together in the future. So just thanks for today and we're going to keep it going. Yeah, this has been a great conversation. would love to have you back. I, regardless, really want to hear what you end up doing with community and how that all goes. So we'll have to keep in touch. But thanks so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks. This has been great. I appreciate it. And that's the episode. Thanks for hanging in till the we end. Uh, make sure to go check out Terry's course and his LinkedIn and his website and his podcast and his articles on entrepreneur. I mean, like so much stuff, so much stuff. Um, such a delight. I hope to talk to Terry again. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Give us a shout on, on wherever you, you know, listen to podcasts, give us a review that helps us get the word out. And yeah, hit me up on Twitter. If you want to talk about the episode at Jillian Benbow. And with that, my friends, I will see you next Tuesday. You can learn more about Terry on LinkedIn, his website, terryrice.co. You can head over to Entrepreneur Magazine to learn all about his articles there. And of course, you can find his podcast, Launch Your Business, wherever you listen to podcasts. Your lead host for the community experience is me, Jillian Benbow. Our executive producer is Matt Gartland. Our senior producer is David Grabowski. And our editor is Paul Gregoris. Sound editing by Duncan Brown. Theme music by David Grabowski. See you next Tuesday.